Luke chapter 7. Luke 7. Turn there if you haven't gotten there already. I think tonight we're going to be reminded of some fascinating, valuable, wonderful things about Jesus. The same Jesus that dwells in us. Not a different Jesus. He's the same. Don't change him. Don't change him. So again, Jesus, we appreciate the opportunity to worship you in song. And Lord, you are worthy of praise. You are worthy of more than praise. You have done what was necessary for us to be born again. And we love you for that. And I pray, Jesus, tonight, if there's anybody in this room that's not born again, that hasn't embraced you as Lord of their life, that hasn't cried out, Lord, called out for you to save them, Lord, that tonight would be that night for salvation, Lord. And so may you have your way in this time. May you be honored, Lord. In Luke 7, you did amazing things, Lord. We want to be re-amazed tonight. We ask you to help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 7. Let's pick it up, verse 1. I kind of divided this into five little sections. Um, real heavy on application, because um, I think application is super important. Theology is super important. Head knowledge is good. But heart, heart knowledge, what you're going to do with what you learn about God and Jesus is so important. You got to do something with it. You got to do something with what you hear tonight. The Holy Spirit will show you what that means. It'll mean something maybe different for me. But the things that I share with you tonight are the things that God kind of convicted me about personally as I studied this. So I'm just going to share those things to you. There's nothing I'm going to tell you that I am not completely convicted in myself. So I may say you, 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 but it started with me, me, me. So remember that, okay? It started me, 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 and it's going to be you, you a little bit. It's going to be us tonight. So let's look in verse 1, Luke 7. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I do not presume to come up to you, but say the word and let your servant be healed, and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Capernaum is, uh, there's not much left of it. It's just a small 
It was a, it was a small village then. It's, it's just basically ruins now. But it's about 40 miles from Nazareth. Nazareth was where Jesus grew up. Nazareth was Jesus' hometown. But Capernaum was his home. Capernaum was his home base. Jesus, he, he loved Capernaum, it seems. Um, uh, in Capernaum, if you were to go there today, uh, the main focus would be the, the ruins of a synagogue. In fact, I'll show you up here in the slides. Uh, it's, it's a synagogue that's, uh, that's white limestone. That was built between the 3rd and 4th century. And uh, I was right there in, in that place. But if you look at the next slide, that white limestone is built on black basalt. That's the synagogue that this guy built. <laughs> that, that the, re- the remains of that foundation, so that the white limestone, the newer synagogue, was placed exactly over the foundation of the original synagogue that Jesus would have preached in, that Jesus would have touched and healed in. So it's fascinating when you're there. It says, the late 4th century AD white synagogue built upon the remains of the synagogue of Jesus. It's really the synagogue of a centurion. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to me. I visited that in April 2005. I'd had my daughter Jenny with me, and we were on a, a pilgrimage with Applegate Christian Fellowship which if you can ever do something like that, maybe, we're gonna, maybe we'll do that someday here. Um, it's, it's, it's amazing. Um, Capernaum, when we got to Capernaum, it was our, it was our let's do the other slide. It was, uh, um, it was our second day in Israel. And it's just surreal. It is absolutely surreal to be, to be sitting, just go back to that first slide, Laura, Laura. To be sitting in there, John Corson's sharing a teaching about the man with the withered hand being healed, and you're sitting in the synagogue right there where Jesus did that. It's absolutely amazing, because so often when you're doing a pilgrimage in, in Israel, you don't know exactly, there's all kinds of strata, and you know, where Jesus was around here somewhere, but this is where it happened, and it just, it just blew me away. This is probably the highlight, uh, one of the top three highlights of my time in Israel was this day this teaching in this place. So this centurion, he had authority. He had authority over 100 soldiers, and he knew how authority worked. And he saw Jesus, correctly, rightly so, as a, as, as a, as a, as a man with authority, great authority. In fact, Jesus had the authority over sickness. <laughs> he has authority over everything. But among them, he, had, he has authority over sickness. Um, And he was right. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. But here's my question for you, because it was a question for me. Are you under God's authority tonight? Or are you under your own authority tonight? Is Jesus just a lord or kind of the lord in heaven? Is he just that, which he is that, and that's important, but is is he your lord? Is he on the throne of your life? The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, he's your Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is he your Lord? Is he your authority? Does he have authority in your life? 
It's not something you can, you can answer one time. It's an ongoing question. You, you have to ask yourself that again and again, maybe even throughout a day. In this moment, the way I'm li- thinking, living, acting, is Jesus the Lord, is he on the throne of my life, or am I? Because he should be. The Bible says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I'm going to read this to you until I die. You're going to hear me read this over and over because I need to hear it myself. Paul said this. The Lord said this through Paul. Do you not know? Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Christianity 101. You're not the Lord. You have no right. I have no right. We have no right to be the Lord of our lives. We have no right to be the authority of our own life. Christianity will never make sense to you. It will never fit, so to speak. Uh, In fact, I think people who step away from faith, which many do, are fundamentally challenged in this way. They just never knew how to let Jesus be the Lord of their life. And so it just eventually, they just walked away from it. I've seen it, you've seen it. So I just want to encourage you. This, this centurion understood that Jesus had ultimate authority in whatever way he understood and he's no different tonight. Does he have ultimate authority in your life? Ask yourself that question daily. Start up in the morning maybe and say, Jesus, today I need, amongst other things, whatever your needs are, the number one thing I need, more than whatever I think I might need, I need you to be the Lord of my life. And I vacate that throne this morning, Jesus, and I place you on there, and I pray that today I'll follow you. I'm not large and in charge. Jesus, you are. Okay, let's keep running. Next verse says, verse, if I get to Luke 7, it'll be better than Luke 4. Verse 11. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, which is nearby, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the beer, it's pronounced beer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This gal, this poor widow, was like a, it was like Ruth. She'd lost her husband. She'd lost her children. Um, she'd lost everything. And one of the things that's amazing about this story to me 
it probably shouldn't be, but it is, is that the, the, these guys who are, who are holding the beer, so to speak, never dropped it. I mean, I mean, it would be like an anaconda coming out of that thing, you know? And so they didn't drop it. And it, it's, it's, uh, it just goes to show you no matter what century you're in or what circumstances, guys aren't going to drop the beer. They're just not going to. So that's a freebie. They're not going to drop it. Doesn't matter when. But what we see here is Jesus having authority over death. He had authority over sickness, disease, whatever was going on with Centurion's servant, but now he has authority over death. And again, uh, it would have been a freakiest thing to have been there. I mean, we, we, we can pretty it up in our minds, but this stuff is crazy when it happens. It's real, and, and, and fear just would consume people, which is the right thing to have happen. And I think we're getting close to the real Jesus when he's not just this God of feel good or grace or love. Those things are amazing and important. Let's never discount those things at all. But is he a God that you fear? Do we fear the Lord? Do I fear the Lord? Do we fear the Lord as Christians? Are we afraid to sin? Do any of us not sin because we're afraid to? There's probably lots of reasons we run through our head like, I don't want, I think I should do that. My wife would kill me, or I'm a pastor, or I'm, I, I just know better, whatever. I mean, those are all good reasons. But when I think of reasons why I don't think I want to do that, I don't think of... I'm afraid that the living God would be disappointed with me if I did that. That's not even in my thinking. But I'll tell you, it was in their thinking. And we've just kind of moved that out because he's gracious and good and forgiving, and he is. But wise is the man and wise is the woman who fears the Lord. You know what made David great? King David? One of the things that made him great Psalm 111.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think he feared the Lord, whatever that meant to him. And I don't know what that should mean to you. I'm trying to figure out what that means to me. But I think it's something we're losing. We're losing that fear of the Lord. We're losing it in culture. Read Isaiah 6 sometime. Isaiah 6, write that down. Read that. When God spoke to Isaiah, he was undone. That's who God is. He's no different. Don't make him different. He's the same. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's good. Yes, he's forgiving. And he always will be. My dad was gracious. My dad was good. My dad was forgiving. But you know what? When my mom, when I hadn't done so well in not sinning, and my mom didn't want to deal with it, she would say, wait till your dad gets home. And I'm just going to tell you, he was a great dad. You guys know that. I've talked about him. But there was a holy fear for, oh, dad's come, dad, this is not going to end well. This is not going to be good. He's, and I don't know, I mean, I don't think my dad was thinking that kind of stuff, but I was thinking, I was just, I had this kind of a good thing. It was a fear, a respect, a deep, whatever you want to call it for my dad. 
It's important. Jesus said this, Matthew 10, 28. Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That's like a, wow. Is he just having a bad day when he said that? Or that doesn't sound like our Jesus, but that is our Jesus. We need to fear him. Whatever that means, develop that in your life. I think it's super important. Hmm. Who in this room tonight has been dead and Jesus touched you? Who in this room tonight has been dead? Every hand should be up. Who in this room tonight? Every hand should be up. Who? Every hand. No cheaters. Who in this room tonight has been dead just like this cat and Jesus touched you? You were born dead. Did you realize that? You were born dead in your sins, spiritually dead. You, You had a spirit. God gave us a spirit. But our spirit couldn't commune with his spirit, the Holy Spirit, because we were dead men walking. You were born dead. You were this guy Put yourself in his beer. <laughs> That's weird to say that. Put your, we read these stories and we think, well, that's, well, that's, a, that's kind of a funny, that's an interesting story. That's your story. That's me. That's you. You were being carried out. You were dead in your sins, man. And Jesus touched you. That story is your story. That story is my story. I love this verse, Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive, just like our story, with Christ, together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. At nine years old, I was touched as a kid. I don't know how it all happened, but it all happened. I just realized, I I need a savior, and I... And I want to go to heaven. And I know my parents are going to heaven because they've been talking to me about it. And and Jesus touched me and and I I became alive. I became alive. I was born again. Let's keep reading. Verse 18. Messengers from John the Baptist. And the disciples of John, John the Baptist, reported all these things to him. Then, I'm sorry, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who's to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And they got got it right. And in that hour, he, being Jesus, healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You know, that's a surprising question from John the Baptist, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? I mean he was a hero. He was, he was as great as they get. 
as great a prophet as has ever been born of men, born of women, born. And he's asking this unusual question. Unusual question. He seemed fairly confident when he baptized Jesus that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the coming one, the anointed one. But now it's questions. And I understand. I understand that the world would look at Jesus like that. I get it. But what troubles me, what troubles me about me, is that many Christians are wondering the same thing. Asking the same question. Believers, are you the one? Are you the one? Or should I look for another? They're maybe not saying it out loud, but they're saying it in their heart. And it's why some leave the faith. And if you could be entirely honest with yourself tonight, if you could be entirely honest with yourself, and these are hard things to do, especially when someone's just harping at you like I am, but are you a bit offended by Jesus tonight? Disappointed? Has he failed to perform to your expectations? Has he disappointed you? I think, I think it, it can happen, call it doubt. May I have that doubt series? I think we can look at Jesus and we hear people talk about Jesus, our Jesus, and they are loaded with doubts. And those things affect us and maybe infect us sometimes. Tawana, you're, you're probably never going to get out of that, right? And I don't know how you deal with it. Maybe a miracle. But you might not. And it could. I know it can, Terry, same for you, can affect who is this Jesus? How do I get in this thing? When do I get out of it, heaven? But, you know. So are we looking, as Christians, are we looking for a more reasonable Jesus deep down in your heart of hearts? Are you looking for I know the world is. Are we looking for a little more tolerant Jesus? I'm a little offended by this Jesus. I'd like a little more tolerant Jesus. We need a more tolerant Jesus, you might say. Or are you looking for a Jesus who doesn't let bad things happen to good people? That blows away some Christians. Are you looking for that one? Are you looking for a Jesus who will make you happier or healthier or richer? And he hasn't. Are we looking for a Jesus as Christians who kind of turned a blind eye to sin because he's so good or he's so gracious or what? I mean, I don't know. The problem is this. That's not this Jesus. It's never going to be this Jesus. This is the Jesus we have to learn to get to know. We can't change him because of culture. We can't change him because of whatever you're experiencing him. The Jesus of the Bible is going to offend you at times. <laughs> Matt's going to offend you at times. I'm probably offending you now. Who knows? But Matt says he's what? An equal opportunity offender or whatever. And There's value in that. The real Jesus, not the one we make up and spin, but the real Jesus, he's going to challenge you and he's going to offend you. He said to those disciples, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. The real Jesus is going to challenge you, offend you if you want to use that word. He's going to challenge your thought life. 
His word's gonna challenge your thought life. The real Jesus, his word's gonna challenge your motives. The real Jesus, his word's gonna challenge your speech. His word's gonna challenge your sincerity. And you can become offended. And I can become offended. And we think, huh, is there another Jesus? That's what John was saying. Is there, is there a better one? Is there one that's doing more of what I think he should be doing? Because I don't know if he's doing this right. That was John the Baptist. That's as good as it gets. Better than us. So what did Jesus do? He performed these miracles before John the Baptist's disciples. And then he said something super interesting that caught my heart. He said, he, he said the, you know, the blind see and the lame walk and all these things. And then he says, and the poor have good news preached to them. That's how he kind of closed up that section. He did a, I'm doing all these miracles. And by the way, also, the poor are having something preached to them. And I think sometimes if you don't want to be offended by what Jesus is or isn't doing, you have to preach to yourself like the poor. You got to preach to yourself. And I don't know what you preach to yourself, but I think there's, there's a hint of what I might want to preach to myself, and it's right here. When I don't like what Jesus is or isn't doing in or around me, in your life and my life. And I don't think he could have done better or different. I try to preach to myself things like this, and, and they're in the text. Hey, I was blind. Let's just go. If you want to go forward, sometimes really in your walk with Jesus, you've got to go backwards sometimes for a moment. Okay, I, I, I'm kind of offended, Lord, because you did or didn't do that. That, that thing happened to them, and it's just so hard for them and so hard for me. And so I think sometimes I have to go, but, 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 but wait, 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 wait. His spirit would say, but Mark, you were, you, 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 you were blind. You offended my me. You were blind and now you see. Mark, you had no walk with me. You were lame as they get. And now you have a walk with me. Mark, you, you couldn't hear. You were deaf. You couldn't hear my spirit calling you, but now you have a relationship with me. Mark, you were dead in trespasses and sins, but now you're alive. Mark, you were leprous, which is a picture of sin, and now you're clean, completely clean. And so before you get too offended by me, Mark, let's go back for a moment and, and just remember, you were all those things I healed, and you were all those things he healed, because he healed you, and he's healing you, and it's awesome. That's what he reminded those disciples to tell John the Baptist. And I don't know what John did with it. We don't know. But it's important. We have no right. We really don't have a right to be offended by Jesus. What he does or doesn't do, he's going to do what God's going to do. And it's going to be hard sometimes to understand. It's going to be hard to explain to people. Maybe impossible. But don't be offended. Don't be offended. Try not to be offended. He's working out something amazing, truly. And then let's see what happens. Verse 24. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Boy, John's really disappointing me. I can't believe he did those. No, he didn't say that. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? 
a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. You will prepare your way, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children." There's a lot in that text, and we're not going to dive into all of it. We're just going to touch on one thought, a thought that touched me. Is this, when Jesus had a moment to talk to the people, his greatest ally, his greatest ally was questioning him. And when those disciples left to return to John, Jesus could have just called his disciples over and said, hey, guys. I hope you're better than him. You know, I'm kind of disappointed in John. I can't believe he doesn't. I mean, what have I done wrong? I hope you guys are better than that. I mean, I don't know. That's what I would have probably done. But that's not what he did. What did he do? He defended him. He defended John. And I think it's super important that you answer these questions. Would Jesus defend you? Or even better, does Jesus defend you? Or do you feel God is probably a little bit disappointed with you most of the time? If God was really honest, and he is, by the way, but if he was really honest, he would probably be just a wee bit disappointed with you. And he wouldn't say those nice things like he said about John, even though John was questioning him. I hope you can believe me on this and re-believe me tomorrow if this comes up again. He's not disappointed in you. He's not disappointed in you. He backed up John the Baptist and he'll back up you. <laughs> he backs up you. John the Baptist, I don't know, maybe he should have figured it out, maybe he shouldn't have had the question, but maybe we shouldn't do things too, right? But he's not like that. He's our advocate. He defends us. God defends you. The Bible said there's, there's no condemnation. None. For those in Christ Jesus. None. Not even. None. Conviction? Yeah. Condemnation? No. No condemnation. Zero. No condemnation. First John 2, 1 says, My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. It's amazing. God continually puts my 
failings, your failings, our failings on his account. He's paying the price. He paid the price. He's paying the price. For our sin, we sin. We blow it. We mess up. But he's not mad at us. He's not condemning us. He's praying for us. He's hoping for us. And I don't know that he's surprised when we fail. He's probably more surprised when I do something right. Let's just say it. I mean, Jesus isn't going to the Father saying, I can't believe Scott says doing that again. I don't think he's doing that. He's not doing that with you. What he's saying to the Father is, hey, Scott said I got it right today. Can you, I mean, that's amazing. It's rejoicing in heaven with the angels. I think that's how God is. He just rejoices in what we do right. He doesn't get all twisted out of shape in what we do wrong. It's super important that you see him the way I believe he wants to be seen. And we'll close with this last text. It's probably my favorite. Here we go. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him, this Pharisee's name was Simon. One of the Pharisees, Simon, asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, you can figure out what that means, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, they would, when they would eat, they would lay on their sides, you know, on an arm to their feet. Were. So uh, standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And believe me, Simon knew what he was talking about when he said that. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Here we see Jesus has authority over sin. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over death. Now he has authority over sin. And on the surface, this, this feels a little bit like was it John, John chapter 12? It happens in John chapter 12. Mary and Martha, remember? Lazarus. 
And remember, Jesus shows up there and, 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 and Mary is anointing Jesus' feet. Remember that whole story? And it's a beautiful thing. The disciples didn't like it. And it says in this John 12, 3, then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But I, but I would say this, the motives were different. The motive that Mary, of, you know, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Mary's motive was different than this woman, this woman of the city. In, in John 12, the oil Mary was pouring out on Jesus, I think it represented her joy. She had, he had healed her brother. He was their friend. They loved Jesus. Jesus loved them. I think the oil that she poured out, Mary, on Jesus' feet represented her joy. But in Luke 7, man, the oil she was pouring out on Jesus, it represented her pain. It represented her pain. Both actions, both women's actions, if you, if you read both texts, were warmly received by Jesus. They were warmly received by Jesus. Whether you're pouring out your joy or pouring out your pain in our text, Jesus was okay with that. Pain is unavoidable. As much as we might try, particularly in our culture, to skirt around pain, and I'm no different, it's unavoidable. And it's going to be a part of our lives to the very end. Pain is primarily associated with loss, if you think about it. Pain comes when we lose a friend, we lose a loved one, we lose a marriage, we lose our health, we lose our mobility, we lose a job, we lose our wealth, we lose our hope. Pain. Pain is what comes. And what some of us do, I know I would do this, I would be a classic example of this, I will tend to bottle up my pain and stick it somewhere. That's what I tend to do. It's not good. I'm not proud of it. But that's what I do. I just, it's like nuclear waste, man. (laughs) You just seal it up and you just drop it in the deepest hole you can. And just hope, I guess, over time you forget about it or it goes away or that's what people do. That's what I do. And I don't like it, but I do it. And I guess I just want to close with a simple thought. I don't think that's what God intended for me or for you. He doesn't want us to bottle up our pain and just stick it in some hole in our soul and hope that it doesn't have an effect on our life because I promise you it will. I promise you it will. I think this gal had bottled up her, it's almost a picture she'd bottled up this pain, to me anyway, and she was just, pouring it out on him with tears and pouring. She wasn't thrilled with her life. She's captured by her life. She didn't want that. I bet when she was a little girl, she never thought she'd be a harlot. Million years. But she was. And it was ripping her to pieces. So what I see with her anointing so different than Mary is anointing Jesus with joy. I think she's anointing Jesus with pain. So here's my thought. Don't do that. Don't be like me. I have to learn to be different. I need to take pain and I need to anoint Jesus with it. I need to learn how to do that. I need to grow in that. Maybe you do too.
Maybe it's a guy thing, I don't know. But I need to learn how to do that. I need to bring it out and pour it at his feet. Because you know what? He receives it warmly. What are you going to do? Just think about it. Bottle it up? How's that going to work for you? doesn't work well for me. In the end, it takes away. It's a big takeaway in life. So I love what she did. I have a saying I made up. I'm tell- it's for me. This is for me. But I'm telling myself this. If I, can, if I can loose it, I can lose it. If I can lose pain, because we all have pain. Pain's a part of life. It's unavoidable. I think I can lose it. Where do I lose it? I lose it on Jesus. Because he wants it. He actually invites you to break your pain ointment on him time and time again. I think that's what she was doing. So different than Mary. Jesus says this, come to me. Come to me. Don't bury it. Don't treat it like nuclear waste. Come to me. All who labor and are what? Heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. The great thing about God is, and it's so unlike people, you can't pour out your pain on people very often because you know why people get tired of it, honestly. And quite honestly, as much as they might try, they don't get your pain. There's only one person that gets your pain. That's you. And sometimes we don't even understand our own pain. But there is somebody, a great somebody, who understands your pain. The only one who understands your pain is Jesus. And I just want to remind you that you can pour it out on him as much as you want. And to him, he receives it like an ointment. It's something to him that's beautiful because he loves you. And he wants you to pour your pain on him. I don't know where you're at tonight. But just a closing thought. If you're like me and you stick pain in deep places and pretend it's not there, it's less good. I need to learn to do better. Maybe you're a little like me. Maybe we're all a little, at least a little bit like me. And I need to present that pain to Jesus because, again, he's the only one that really understands it. I don't even know if I understand it. And you're, and you're a pastor. You, you're around. Pain. Everybody's pain. And that, I guess, just, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. God's grace is sufficient for those that do that, but it's not the best. I think this gal was remarkable in her anointing. So, would you be willing to pour your pain out tonight on Jesus? Because that's an anointing he receives gladly. And he'll receive it in the middle of the night tonight, and he'll receive it tomorrow morning, and he'll receive it tomorrow night and I receive it 30,000 times a day if that's what you want to do because that's what he wants you to do. He just wants you to stick that stuff in there. It's radioactive. It's going to beat you up. So let's close our eyes. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you that you're a God 
that received this woman's anointing so graciously, kindly. And Jesus, you, ref- you, 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 Lord, you defended her to the religious man. You defended what she did. In fact, you blessed her by what she did. And I just pray tonight, Jesus, that for my brothers and sisters and for myself, that we would be a people that quickly and freely take our pain to you because pain is unavoidable. Help us to not be those people that stuff it somewhere like me. Help us to be people that can cast our cares upon you because you know what, Lord, you care for us. Your word is true. And so, Lord, for those here tonight that particularly are wrestling with just a storehouse of pain deep, deep, deep in their soul, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would, that they would, that we would <laughs> present it to you, Lord, as, a, as, a, as an offering, present it to you, Lord, as an ointment, and that in that you would heal and remind us that you're for us. Jesus, you're the only one that gets our pain. And you suffered pain beyond what we can imagine. That's our great advocate. Nobody suffered more pain than you. And you invite us to cast that on you tonight. So Lord, may, may we do that. May we do that tonight. May we do that tomorrow. May we be people that continue to just cast those things upon you. You're such a good God. And so we love you. We thank you, Lord, for this text. Thank you, Lord, that you haven't changed, that you're the great advocate. Thank you, Lord, that you have authority tonight over sin. You have authority over sickness. You have authority over death. You have authority over all things. That's our God, and we worship you tonight. So we love you, Lord. As we go our way, would you just brand these things in our souls and our spirits, Lord? May you... You make our soil fertile in our hearts, Lord, that there's a, there's a harvest of righteousness and goodness that comes from your word tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.